Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Isaiah 42.1, uh, it's titled The Servant's Mission in My Bible. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smouldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and islands will wait for his instruction. This is what God, the Lord, says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. So Andrea and I both grew up in missionary families, well, when, from when I was a teenager anyway, um, and when we met in the early 1990s, we actually met as missionaries, short-term missionaries, um, and so not surprisingly, uh, missions has always been important to us, and just one of those assumptions we make, churches support missions, that's what you do. Um, but I have a friend, and uh, when... I was teaching on missions in a previous church and he was like, no, we need to take care of our own backyard before we worry about overseas. And when I first heard that, that presented a real challenge to me, not that it really shook my conviction about missions, um, but that someone would think differently because missions and supporting missions had always been my default assumption growing up in the church before uh, my family uh, went into missions. So what would you say to my friend? Would you agree with him? Perhaps you think we do need to take care of our own backyard first. Should we restrict ourselves to our own city and nation? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about why I believe missions is still important. And uh, I think most of you agree, given you know the money we raised in the last year. But I want to encourage you with this. And... Uh, um, just the importance and the significance of what we do in missions. And of course, yes, we should take care of our own backyard. Uh, as Trudy mentioned, playtime is coming under our missions banner because it is missional. It is ministering and reaching people uh, outside the kingdom of God. Um, but that mission extends beyond our own shores. Now, our reading this morning is taken from the Old Testament, obviously, but the Gospels make it clear that this passage was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the servant that Isaiah speaks of. And so the first reason for missions as we read this passage is because of God's heart for justice. The biblical view of justice uh, is about making wrongs right, 
so what we might think of as judicial justice, uh, upholding good and punishing evil, um, but it's also creating a fair society uh, where everyone has enough, everyone can live in peace and freedom. And we find three times in these four verses, first four verses, uh, that the servant will bring justice. He will bring justice to the nations, to the Gentiles. He would faithfully bring justice to those who, like a bruised reed, can't hold themselves up. And like a smouldering wick are about to give up, he'll, he'll do it gently. And he would tirelessly, tirelessly establish justice on the earth. Now, it's kind of perverse that sometimes injustice has been and is still done in the name of God. But that's not the true gospel, of course. Where the gospel takes root, truly, justice follows. So we see this in Scripture. When Paul, uh, if you read the book of Philemon, very short, just about 20-odd verses, when Paul sent the runaway slave Onesimus back to his master Philemon, he did so knowing that Philemon actually had a legal right to beat him or even kill him. That was the lot of runaway slaves. One of the classes of crime that people could be crucified for, crucifixion was basically for slaves uh, or rebels. But Paul urges Philemon to rather receive Onesimus the slave as a brother in Christ because Onesimus had become a Christian. He'd received Christ when he met Paul. And this kind of thinking, people say, well, the Bible doesn't speak against slavery. Well, that's kind of true. But this kind of thinking that slaves are equal to their masters planted the seeds for the downfall of slavery. And, you know, Christians were at the forefront of uh, the effort to bring slavery to an end. And it actually, so we remember William Wilberforce uh, in 17th, 18th century, uh, the anti-slavery campaigner. But do you know Christians in the first few centuries after Rome were starting to speak against slavery? They were doing things like buying slaves a freedom. Uh, it, was, it was just full on what they were doing. The gospel took uh, planted and justice started to grow. In the Roman Empire, it was common... If a, a, a woman had a baby that she didn't want, they would just leave the baby exposed outside for whatever to happen to come. Christians had a reputation for going and rescuing these cast-out babies who were very often girls because everyone wants a boy, right? No one wants a girl. They cost money and you have to send dowries with them and that sort of thing. Sorry, ladies, that's what it was like back then. And still is in, in some places. But the Christians would rescue these babies and, and take them in. And, you know, this is perhaps one of the reasons why Christianity, right from the start, has always had more women than men in the church. Uh, and sometimes, look, as guys, we lament this. How do we get the guys in the church? Uh, but the reality is it's, it's something we created for very good reason right back at the start. The treatment of First Nations people is a stain in our country's history that still hasn't been washed away. And uh, we work and pray uh, for healing and reconciliation. But where the gospel takes root... Now, again, great injustice was sometimes done in the name of God. 
But where the gospel took root, it was frequently the motivation for seeking justice uh, towards Indigenous people and empowered activists like William Cooper uh, in the first part of the, the 20th century, who was an Aboriginal activist uh, working for the rights of his people. Where the gospel takes root, justice follows. And yet it is clear that as we look around the world today, justice has not been established as we would like. And in fact, sometimes the gains that have come because of the gospel, because the gospel has so taken root in a society, the West is far from perfect. But Christianity has been one of the forces that has shaped it. And as, as that uh, withdraws, we start to see injustice increase. The, the gains that have been made eroding. Um, people reject Christian values or pervert them to their own wicked ends. The distant coasts and the islands still await the instruction of God's servant Jesus to bring about justice. And we need that both here in our own city and there are plenty of places you can probably think of overseas that need it as well. Some that have never heard, never received it. The second reason is that God made the servant to be a light to open blind eyes. Now, the light of the gospel has gone into almost every corner of the world, yet there is still an enormous amount of spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness in our world. If Jesus is the light, and if, if, the, glory, if the glory of the knowledge of God is the light, then it seems that darkness is encroaching in our own country as the number of practicing Christians decreases. Well, the number of um, people who claim to be Christian is decreasing. The number of people who actually in church, not as much. It's actually more stable than that, which is interesting. Many countries around the world are full of spiritual blindness that leads to all sorts of injustice and social problems. Do you know in England, home of the Baptist movement, among others, just 6% of the population claim to be practising Christians. Now, more will say they're, they're Christians, they're cultural, but they don't really believe. It's just a label. 6% of England claim to be practising Christians. And in many places in the world, uh, Christianity is actively oppressed, even where it's legal. Uh, I've, there's India uh, was, if it's not still, a secular country by constitution. But I've prayed for many pastors in India who had been beaten for their faith and their families ostracised or abused. It's terrible, even though it was strictly legal. It's humbling and it's confronting. And when you're praying for those sorts of people, I'm like, you should be praying for me, I, you know, because they're so faithful and God's grace is on them. Jesus is the light and we are his ambassadors. We have been appointed to carry the light. We are torchbearers. Now, you might ask, what right do we have to impose our beliefs on others? And that's a fair enough question. Uh, people will often say that. And oftentimes, misguided missionaries have actually imposed Christianity by force 
on other populations and they've done terrible injustice as a result. But you know, that doesn't automatically follow. Carrying the light does not mean that we impose our beliefs. If we have to impose anything, we're doing it wrong. Jesus didn't impose. He came gently, not snuffing out smouldering wicks, not breaking bruised reeds, trimming the wicks so they can bear the light again. Because here's the other side of this. Many people are groping in spiritual darkness and they seek the light. They know that whatever they have around them isn't working. They want freedom. They want justice. And, you know, there are so many people when they hear the gospel, it is like oxygen. It is like water to someone in a desert. It's like they latch onto it because it is such good news. We become just, and, you know, we're so used to it and we live in a, a culture that is post-Christian and so hostile to Christianity. And yet there are so many places where perhaps a culture is hostile but people are hungry for it. When they hear it, they just gobble up the gospel. And are we to ignore those people? Even in cultures that might be hostile to the gospel, are we to ignore the people who are seeking truth and light? Jesus is the light of the world. Are we to keep the light to ourselves and ignore those who are seeking light? Are we to deny others? Because here's the thing, creatures of light will be attracted to the light. When they see it, they'll just come. Creatures of the darkness will scurry away. But if we hold up the torch of the gospel, those who God has appointed will come to it. Another reason missions is important is that the servant brings prisoners out of their dungeons. What are the dungeons in the world that keep people captive? I'm sure you can think of all sorts. In every culture, in every part of the world, war, famine, corruption, family breakdown and social disruption bring, leave people trapped in dungeons, dungeons of poverty, dungeons of abuse, of addiction, and of despair. In our own country, we grapple to find solutions to so many uh, economic injustices and social injustices. We seek political solutions. We try to find it through um, education or the economy. And, you know, it has such limited success. We just have these intractable social problems that governments have been pouring billions of dollars and expertise in into years and we just don't seem to be able to budget. Many people are trapped in dungeons of poor mental health and so often the best answer society can give is here's a box of tablets or a mental health unit and these are important interventions but they're not a way out. Dungeons of false religion oppress many people spiritually and socially around the world. But here's the thing, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Richard Wormbrand was a Romanian pastor, I think in the 50s, who was imprisoned and tortured under the Romanian communist regime back then. He says when he was lying in a prison cell with broken bones after being tortured through the day, 
he would just be filled with such a joy because the spirit of the Lord was with him. Brother Yun uh, is a Chinese evangelist. Uh, he uh, escaped China. But in his biography, The Heavenly Man, he says uh, he served a number of terms in Chinese prisons for his faith. But he's, and he led people to the Lord in prison. Uh, but he says when he, they were in there, you know, they were behind bars, but he said we were as free as the birds because the Lord was with them. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus came to take people out of their dungeons. And there are so many people in dungeons that we, that need freedom. And then God says, I am Yahweh, the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. People still worship false gods, false idols, false religions. Now, sometimes people will ridicule God as jealous and needy and petty because he doesn't get the attention he deserves. Oh, he's punishing you because you don't give him that attention. And um, God doesn't need your attention. He doesn't need my attention. God didn't create people because he was lonely. We need him. God created us because he is love, but not because he needed us. Now, it is true that when we don't give God the honour that he's due, we we dishonour him and we rob him. But the problem for us is far more immediate than that. Humans were created to be image bearers of God. And when we don't bear that image, when we don't acknowledge the creator in whose image we were made, it just sends us out of whack and our world out of whack. Everything goes wrong. And, you know, we're good at making up idols, aren't we? It's sort of the extreme. In Hinduism has hundreds of millions of idols. But in the West, I think we probably have a bunch, but there are three predominant idols that I think of. And we don't necessarily think of them as idols because they're not little statues, but they're gods that we set up. You try to um, go against these, undermine these, and just listen to people's fury. The first is, of course, money. Just turn on the news and see how much, just listen to this when you're looking at the news or, or think, how much is framed in economic terms? Uh, it's all about productivity. Um, people are framed in terms of e- e- economy. It, it, it's just it's so pervasive we don't even notice it. Um, people are reduced to dollar values. A second one is what we sometimes call um, expressive individualism. Uh, and, and that is that it's the right of any person to identify and express themselves as they desire without reference to anyone else or anything else. Um, I am the king of my world and you have to respect that. Um, so woe betide anyone who challenges another person's sexual identity, for example. Um, And that is the third, I think, and that is sexual identity and sexual expression. So I'm not just talking about gender identity and stuff, but actual sexual freedom and, you know, everything that started with the sexual revolution of the the 60s. So put it this way, in Victoria, it is illegal to even pray with someone, pray for someone who is wrestling with their sexual identity. So if someone came up and said, Alex, 
if I was in Victoria. And WA is basically flagged, they're heading this way. So someone comes up in a couple of years, comes up and says to me, Alex, I'm really struggling with my sexuality. I've got these homosexual feelings and, you know, the Bible says this. You know what, the legal thing I have to do is say, no, no, you're gay. That's okay. It's okay to be gay. I can't tell them to not practice. I can't, I can't that, I just have to affirm. I can't come in with Christian values and beliefs in that situation. That is a setting in Victoria now, and pastors and churches over there have to wrestle and navigate this. You tell me that's not an idol. That's not a competing God. Now, whatever you think about sexuality, I'm not trying to raise the issue there. I'm just saying it is so prominent in our society now that the state is imposing on the church what we can teach and do and even pray. Which sort of says something, though, doesn't it? When the state starts to shut down prayer, people pick up your prayer life because there's power in it. The devil is afraid of it, of praying Christians. The problem with idolatry, with giving glory uh, and allegiance to something that's not God, is that it leads to injustice, again, and blindness and oppression and abuse. Look, we've had our fair share of scandals in in the church around the world, in Australia uh, in recent years, but all of them stem from people who have stopped bearing God's image and giving him glory in their hearts. And there's a personal challenge here, of course, but the challenge of missions as well, because so many people are giving glory to idols and false gods. In some settings, it might be the state or a personality, but rather than the true and living God. And for many people, you know, They simply don't have a viable alternative. No one has told them that about Jesus, about the true and living God. They need to know. And without our hearts aligned with the heart of God, we can never find the path to life. There are so many people who need to hear about the God who loves them and is calling them to himself. And so, friends... Missions matters here in Australia and overseas because there is still injustice in our world. People are spiritually blind and in spiritual dungeons and don't know the true and living God. So what can you and I do to help carry the light of Christ, to open prison doors, to bring people to the knowledge of God? Well, during this Kingdom Builders Month, uh, you'll be hearing from more of our partners uh, here in Perth. Um, And, you know, we've heard there's medical missions, there's youth work, there's church planting, but there's three things we can do as you're hearing these. And perhaps as you go through, one will touch you more than another, and that's okay. We can't do everything. We just need to do something. First, of course, and most importantly, is we can pray. Pray for yourself. Ask God just to increase your love and your heart for the lost. Pray for the people in your life who don't know Christ, that they will come to know Christ. Pray for the mission of our church as we try to reach out to our neighbourhood through playtime, through the events we do, um, and pray for our Kingdom Builders partners, that God will make them effective. 
Second thing, you can give. Pastors always asking for money. But on the, I'm not asking for it myself in this case, so I'll do it very freely. On the 21st of May, so um, there'll, there'll be an opportunity to renew your Kingdom Builders Pledge. So uh, now, as we go through this month, don't assume that what you gave last year, if you gave last year, is the same as what God wants you to give this year. I really do just encourage you to pray about it. We want to give out of obedience to the Lord and out of faith. Now, I know times are tough, so do seek the Lord about it. Um, you know, my I went part-time um, here when after we had made our pledge, missions pledge last year. And so we, as we started thinking about this, uh, I was like, well, maybe we should drop. We're getting less income. Maybe we should drop our promise uh, for this coming year. Um, but, you know, then I, uh, I was praying, I guess God gave me a bit of conviction. We call the offering that we'll be taking up at the end of the month a faith offering. And what that means in part Yes, when we give, there are sacrifices we have to make. But you know what? We're asking God to provide. We're saying, Lord, what do you want me to give? How are you going to provide it? God provides in all sorts of ways. It might be a tax windfall. It might be extra hours at work. It might be, I don't know, anything. So you may think a figure drops in your heart and you have a conviction about it and you're like, I don't know how that's going to happen. You know what? That's kind of God's problem. I mean, look what just happened when we, what is that, 50% more than we pledged, we, we gave? God, if, if you feel God is giving you a figure and you think, I don't know how, that's called faith. And it's on God, <laughs> as long as we're obedient. Um, and so, you know, as, as we were contemplating this, so I'm not going backwards. I'm giving more this year by faith than we gave last year. What will God unlock in you by faith? Now, by faith. So don't just, oh, I've got to outdo the pastor or something. If God gives you a figure that's less and you feel that's what God's saying, it doesn't matter as long as it's by faith. We pray, we give, and here's a really challenging one. We can go. You know, we're all called to make disciples where we are. But I want to ask you, is God asking you to step up a little more, to step out of your comfort zone and, and go to people elsewhere? Now, there's different ways we can do this. Maybe it is volunteering uh, with an organisation or, or just supporting it back here in a practical way. But maybe it's even more radical than when we were in our early 20s, God called us to go overseas in mission for a season. I'm glad he did because that's where I met my wife but we were called out of our comfort zone. Andrea had a good career ahead of her. And that really, I have to tell you, that disrupted careers and plans for quite some years, after, even after we got back. You get the Browns. God has called into mission, essentially, here in WA for many years. I'm sure it was out of their comfort zone when they first started. Maybe it still is. So what is God calling you to? Because God is calling you into mission in some way. What's he calling you to? Friends, mission matters because people matter. 
to God. That's the bottom line. So let us be a missionary church, continue to be a missionary church, building God's kingdom here in Perth, in Australia and overseas.